the elections, haven't we? Uh, one way, shape or form, from our own election uh, for the Australian Government uh, to our local elections and then just more recently even to the elections in America. And when you look at those elections, generally you notice that uh, when they work it out, it almost becomes, even though it's a party versus a party, it almost becomes a person versus a person, doesn't it? So it was like Kevin Rudd versus John Howard, Barack Obama versus John Cain. I had to think of it for a minute. McCain for a second. But it almost, doesn't it, it becomes that between the two. It almost ends up being uh, you're voting for the person rather than the party, almost. And when you look at the way that they advertise it, they work on that, don't they? They almost have the two people against each other. Uh, and it's a funny thing when you talk to people why they vote for different people. Uh, it's interesting to see the reasons that they give. Some people do go for policy. Some people do look into why they're, what they believe and what they stand for. Other people go, well, just by the look of their face and their facial features. I know some people who voted that way. Uh, some people vote depending on whether they just like the personality of the person. But generally, the overwhelming discussions that you have when you look at, talk to people, when you look in the papers, uh, it comes down to what the person is like. It's their character. It's who they are. How they reacted in certain situations, uh, in emergencies or different things that came their, way, came their way. In their debates, how did they relate? How did they come across? And it's even not so much about what they stood for in a sense, but how they came across. What is their character like? Because you see, character counts, doesn't it? Uh, listen to this final sentence. I was reading an article in Time magazine the other day and it was from a journalist who was speaking about what America is like now or going to be like now since Barack Obama has been elected. Listen to what it says. It says this, that America, it is a younger, more optimistic, less cynical place. It's a country that retains its ability to startle the world and in a good way with our freedom. Now this is a sentence that I picked up on. It says, it is a place finally where the content of our president's character is more important than the colour of his skin. Where the content of our president's character is more important than the colour of his skin. You see, character counts, doesn't it? And character counts especially in leaders because their character will determine their actions. And I think that's a truth that the Bible brings out to us over and over again. The character of a leader is vitally important. And this morning we're going to read a passage in the Bible that just nails that. Nails exactly what that's all about. It comes in and says this is the character of a person that should lead God's church. Now even though it's about leadership, the great thing about it, it's for all of us. Because the character of a leader should be the character of the people that they are leading. So let's have a look at it. So when we look at this passage, keep that in mind. Paul is writing to Timothy and he's putting across to Timothy the type of character that he wants to see in a leader. And notice, as you read it, that there is nothing about what they should do. It's not job description, it's character description. So have a look at that. We're going to read that together. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And Flora's going to come out and read that for us. Please, if you've got your Bibles open, read, follow along with us. If not, uh, check out on the screen. 
But it'd be good to have your Bibles open a little bit later so we can look at it together. That'd be great. One Timothy three, one Timothy chapter three, overseers and deacons. Here is a trustworthy saying: If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, and not given to drunkenness. Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may be conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of their faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world and was taken up in glory. May God add his blessing to this reading. Thanks, Laura. Well, let's as we have a look at that together, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. Father, we ask this morning that as we look at it this together, that you'll guide and direct us, that our hearts will be open to you, Lord, and what you have to say to each of us individually here this morning and each of us corporately here as well. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to turn my fan down because it blows everything around. I think I've got the right one. Hopefully. I read a story the other day about a couple of policemen who came to a crash scene and when they came to the crash scene there was a family inside this car and they'd all been knocked unconscious. Uh, There was a husband and wife and two children. So they called the ambulance, the ambulance came along and as they took the family out they removed the mother and the father, they moved the two children 
And just after they'd moved the two children, they recognised or realised that there was a monkey in the back seat of the car. And because they couldn't work out how this accident happened, they thought, well, maybe the monkey might be able to help us out with what happened in the accident. So the two policemen went across to the monkey and sort of indicated the monkey. He said, uh, what, was the, what was the father doing while he was in the car? What was happening? When the monkey got like this and indicated that he was drinking. And the policeman said, oh, that makes sense. And then they said to the monkey, well, what was the wife doing? And the monkey went, well, that makes sense. The wife having a go at the husband because he was drinking. And so they said, what were the kids doing? And you're going, they were fighting. Ah, oh, well, that probably makes sense of what happened to the accident. The bloke was drinking, the wife was going off, and the kids were in the back going crazy, and they crashed. And I'm about to walk away, and they thought, well, maybe we should ask the monkey, well, what was he doing? So they asked the monkey, and they said, what the monkey said, what were you doing? And he went, Put a monkey in control of a car and you could crash it very easily, couldn't you? Put a monkey in control of a church and things would go really bad, couldn't it? When the person in control isn't the one that should be, when the person in control isn't qualified or able or gifted or should be part of it, then things can go horribly wrong. And that's the same with the church family. We need to have people who are gifted and qualified to be leaders of our church, otherwise it can go off the rails and can have a major crash. And you see, that's why Paul starts this section with these couple of words. He says this. He says, here is a trustworthy saying. Now, Paul uses this intro three times in 1 Timothy. He uses it two times to introduce the great news about Jesus. He says, here is a trustworthy saying. Jesus came, died and rose again so that you could have life. He does that twice. And he uses here as a trustworthy saying to highlight that this is worth looking at. This is important. So the good news of Jesus is vitally important. You need to know that only through Jesus can you be saved. And then he says the third time he uses it is here. So what Paul is saying to Timothy, these two are really important and so is this. Leadership in the church is very important. And so he says, here is a trustworthy saying. You see, it's a vitally important thing that we understand how leadership works in our church and the type of people that should be leading. And it's important because we've got to realise that the church, the people gathered together, are God's family. If you jump across to verse 15, have a look at what it says. If I'm delayed, you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church, the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. When we are gathered here together, the people of God gathered together, the church, are God's family. And he's passionate about his family. He desires for us to grow. He desires for us to grow in our love for him and our love for each other. He is jealous for us. And because he is jealous for us, because he is passionate for us, he wants what's best for us. So he doesn't want it to go off in all sorts of directions. He doesn't want us to be split and broken up. He wants us to gather together and grow together and impact our community together. He's passionate for us. And because he's passionate for us, he believes the people that lead us need to be passionate as well and qualified people to do that. 
Uh, most of you know I'm a father of four children, of which none are here this morning. They're all scattered all over the place today. But I've got four children, and I'm passionate about them. Very passionate about my children. I desire the best for them. I desire that they will grow up to become the greatest part, the fullest of God has given them, that they will be the people, the the men, the women of God, to their full potential in God. And I'll go to great lengths to do that. Now, I fail miserably sometimes. They just come around to our house when I'm in the middle of an argument with them. Or sometimes I make the wrong decisions about what they should or shouldn't do. Sometimes I don't do that well. I make mistakes, but my great desire for my children is that they reach their God-given full potential. As As a father, I am passionate about that. Sometimes I muck that up. But how great it is, isn't it, that we have a heavenly father who is passionate about us, who's passionate about each and every one of you here, that you will grow up into your God-given full potential. And he doesn't make mistakes, which is even better. That's why Paul starts here that here is a trustworthy saying. He wants the people who lead us, who take us forward, who help us, encourage us to grow, to be people who are after his heart, who have his character, who have the character of Jesus. And we are to be a family who reflect on him well. As we live, we reflect well on him. I hope my children sometimes reflect well on me, uh, even with dreadlocks and stuff. Hopefully they still reflect well on me. But even if it's better, isn't it, if we reflect well on God the creator of everything. And for that to happen, we need to have our characters moulded to the character of Jesus. And when Paul now comes down to give us the character of the people that lead us, notice that they are the character traits of Jesus. And as our leaders are moulded to become more like Jesus, then we too are to be moulded to become more like him. So this passage this morning doesn't set for us the job description of a leader. We've got to go to other parts in the Bible to try and work out that. But it gives us the character traits of a leader. All of them are character traits. There's only two action parts in this whole thing. Uh, Govern your family well and teach for the overseer. They're the only two actual things that you do. All the rest of them are the character of how they relate, who they are, what they are like. And that's what he wants to get across to us this morning. Now let me just sort of pull it together because I'm going to sort of chunk it all together and put it into just some categories for us so we can sort of go home and hold on to five things I think that we need to see. Uh, they're not just for our leaders but they're for you and I. But just so we see that uh, how this works, uh, there's two types of leaders here, aren't there? Uh, you see the first one is overseers, is there in verse 2. An overseer, well the word overseer in the Bible is either overseer or elder. The Bible uses it interchangeably. They're both the same type of word, overseer or elder. They are the ones that have spiritual oversight of the congregation. They are like the person back in verses uh, 11 and 12 who is the teaching authority in the place because, you see, that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be able to teach well is what one of the verses says a little bit further down. 
and they're to be able to teach with authority. And in our church, the way that works out is our elders. So that's Ronnie, Ben, Dave, myself and George, who we don't see very often because George is unwell. Please pray for him. I went and visited him. Ron and I saw him during the week and he's not very well at all. So, uh, yeah, pray for George. He's not going too good. Um, so they're our elders. They're the guys that uh, have come from this congregation that are being put ahead by you guys to lead us and to make sure that we've been being taught well. And then we have a second category down here called deacons. And if you notice with the deacons that it's not so much that there's a hierarchy here because the actual characteristics for a deacon are almost exactly the same as they are for an overseer, but in some ways it seems that they're, the way that they operate is slightly differently. In one sense, the deacons are to be people who help the elders in serving. Uh, some people go back to Acts chapter 6 and say it's the ones when the disciples split it up into they're going to teach and the others are going to serve tables, but I don't think it's quite as clear-cut as that. Uh, because that's what doesn't say that in the passage. But there's definitely a sense of the overseers and then the deacons. And the interesting thing is that for overseers, it seems that it's supposed to be blokes, but for deacons, it actually could be men or women. Because you see the verse in verse, uh, it says there in verse 11, in the same way their wives, actually probably shouldn't be their wives, it actually should be in the same way deaconesses can go like this. So when you look at the way that it works in our uh, church, our little congregation, how it operates here. We have the overseers, the elders, the guys that do that. Uh, the deacons, in one sense, are those that are our leaders of our ministry teams. So those that are running our, our youth, those that are running our craft group, those that are running our mums and bubs, those that are running our PWA, those that are running our growth groups, and then also our committee of management that sort of fits within that. That's why we don't call that committee of management of deacons, because we don't think that's exactly how they fit. They're part of that. They're part of that group that do that. In a sense, they are the group that enable ministry to happen. They are the group that helps serve our congregation. Together, we're to be people who take the good news of Jesus to our community to see people's lives transformed to become vibrant followers of Jesus. That's how it works. Uh, that's how it works here. Uh, some churches do that slightly differently, but that's how we've put it together here. But I think what we can see is there's two types of leadership here, two types that uh, Paul puts out. There's, there's the overseas elders and their focus is on teaching. And then there's the deacons types of leaders and their focus is on serving and making ministry happen. So keep that in mind as we go through it because I'm not going to divvy that up anymore. You can do that in your growth groups during the week if you want to sort that through a bit more. But Because I think when you come down to look at the character traits for both, they are very, very similar. The five character traits for both these guys, I'm going to break it up into, are the same. So let's see what they are. Uh, let's see what it is. If you're a leader here this morning and you're one of those that uh, we've listed, then you need to listen up really carefully. Uh, if you're not a leader and you want to become a leader, then you need to listen up carefully. If you're not a leader and you don't want to become a leader, then you want to listen carefully too because these are the character traits that we all should have. These are what we should all be attaining for because these are all the character traits of Jesus. Well, let's, uh, let's quickly work through them together. Well, relatively quickly anyway. Uh, first of all, we see that need to be above all these categories. There's one thing that needs to be above all of them, and that's in verse 2. It says, now, the overseer must be above reproach. I don't know whether you've noticed, but the American presidents actually get to pick their Supreme Court judges. And then whenever that happens, and you'll see it happen when Barack Obama starts to nominate his in the near future, that there is a frenzy 
of people who try to go and rip them apart, who go in and try and dig up in their closets and go back as far as they possibly can, back to Arnie Joyce's great-uncle's brother's closet and find out something that's bad about them to try and knock them out. And it takes a long time before they find someone who's above reproach. You see, it needs to be someone who's got a tried test record. I think that's why Paul says later that they shouldn't be someone who's just been converted. But there needs to be someone who's been living the Christian life for a while and we can see that that's a good thing in his life, that they've been doing that well. And so we need to keep that in mind that above all of it is that the person needs to be above reproach. But then there's five categories under that. And let me put them in out there for you. I think the first category that we see is that we need to have self-control. You'll see that he talks about in regards to drinking, money, temperate, self-controlled, our temper, our tongue, what we do with those things. And in one sense, it's almost the crutch of it, isn't it? Because we live in a world that actually says, you don't need to have self-control, just do it. If you have the urge, then relieve it. If something's around, then have it. But here it says that we need to be self-controlled. We need to be thinking about how we do things. We need to be thinking about how we can pull our urges into line. And so Paul says here, don't be drunk, not given to drunkenness. Now notice that it doesn't say don't drink. It doesn't say that we can't drink alcohol, but it says we're not given to drunkenness. You see, the Bible never has a problem with alcohol, only people who have a problem with alcohol. But drunkenness is to be out for a leader of God's family. A leader should never be drunk. Because when you are drunk, you're out of control, and that doesn't go well for when you want to try and teach. So if I got up here this morning and was slurring and was all over the place, I don't think you'd be getting much out of it. You might think that anyway. But it would be even worse if I was drunk. And then that goes for all Christians, doesn't it? We can drink alcohol, but it's moderation. Because when we hit drunkenness, it causes disaster. Do you know the drug that causes the most casualties, the most violence, the most family breakdowns in our society? It's alcohol. You can go into all those other ones like heroin, ecstasy, cocaine. And look, don't get me wrong, they are not good for us. But the one that impacts our society the most, to the most detriment, is alcohol. So as members of God's family, I think it's a good thing for us to be able to show either how to drink responsibly or even if we decide to abstain from drinking. That's not a bad thing either. But in all of it, we need to reflect well on God. That's got to be our aim, doesn't it? So when we're out and we're partying and we have one or two drinks and we're thinking this is going okay and things start to get a little bit fuzzy, we need to think, am I going to reflect well on God if I keep drinking or not? We need to show self-control on how we drink. We need to show self-control on how we use our money. And I'm not going to go much into that because Paul hits that in chapter 6. He uh, really nails that for us. So I'm not going to go there. But we need to be thinking about how do we use our money. Not just to splurge on ourselves, but we need to use it responsibly. We need to show self-control with our temper. As we heard early last week, we need to lift our hands in prayer, not in violence. We need to show self-control with our tongue. I think the girls this morning are doing a thing on gossip up at uh, Dragoogle. 
And I think we here this morning need to hear the same, don't we? It's a tough one, isn't it? Jesus says what comes out of our mouths comes out of our hearts. We need to watch what we say, when we say it and how we say it. And you think, is our language reflecting well on Jesus? Is that conversation I'm having with another person reflecting well on Jesus? Is that joke that you tell reflecting well on Jesus? Now, this is not killjoy stuff. I'm not saying that we can't go out and have fun. I have lots of fun without getting drinking to excess. I have lots of fun out partying with people. But we've got to do it responsibly and sensibly so that we reflect well on Jesus. Because the way that God has designed us and the way that God gives us these character traits is actually for our good. It's for our best. It's for our society's best. So the things that we do here are really helpful. So the first category we've got to keep in mind of a godly leader, of a character for you and I, is that we are self-controlled. The second category is our family life. Now, even though this talks about being uh, married here, I think it's the same with even a single person. We need to be thinking about how we relate as family. But most importantly here, it's saying that we need to be faithful in our families. Look at that in verse 2. It says, uh, Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife. If you go down to verse 12, A deacon must be the husband of but one wife, must manage his children his household well. In verse 4, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. We need to be faithful in our families. There's that old country and western song, isn't there? Uh, I'm a one-woman man and you're a two-timing man. No, so Yeah, I'm a one-man one woman and you're a two-timing man. It's a sad song, isn't it, really? About a wife that's holding on to a bloke that keeps going all over the place. In a sense, Paul's saying here that we need to be one-women men, not two-timers. And you sometimes think, well, was it different back then? Actually, no, it was probably worse back then. In Ephesus, in the actual city there, there was a, a temple to a deity where they had prostitutes there and part of the religion was actually going and having sex with the prostitute that was there. That was part of their daily lives. They had their wives at home, whatever, but they used to go off and have that. There was this sense that you could have a, one on the side and that was a normal thing to do. So it wasn't much different back then, probably worse in some ways. It's not quite as accepted here, though sometimes it seems that way. If you aspire to be a leader in our congregation, if you aspire to be an overseer or a deacon, if you aspire to be in leadership, then you need to be faithful to your husband or your wife if you're married. If you ever see a hint of that not being the case in me, then pull me up. Pull me aside. Smack me round the ears. If you ever see a hint of that in our leaders, in our elders, in our deacons, then we need to pull them aside. So you need to be faithful in your family. You need to be faithful to your husband. You need to be faithful to your wife. You need to be faithful to your children. You see, what Paul is saying here is if you can't keep your own family in order, then you can't be part of God's family and keep them in order. 
You've got to do the two well and together. Because our home family life is a small-scale family of our big family when we gather together. So we need to be faithful in our relationships. We need to be self-controlled. And thirdly, we need to be looking at our relationships with others. Uh, Paul talks about it in a number of places there, but the one that really jumps out at me is that word to be hospitable. Uh, He says there in verse 2, be respectable, uh, temperate, self-controlled, respectable and hospitable. Uh, There's so much in this passage, isn't there? We could spend ever time. So I'm just going to pick out a few of them to try and put them together for you. But you see, the word hospitable here actually literally means lover of strangers. That a hospitable person is someone who is first to make newcomers welcome. Uh, The word that uh, is used here in the original Greek is actually very interesting because it's the opposite word to the one that Pauline Hanson was asked when she was running for parliament. She was asked in the famous interview, she said, she was asked, is she xenophobic? And she said, please explain. Xenophobic means a fear of someone who's different to you. Whereas the word here is xenophilic. We need to be lovers of strangers. Lovers of people who are different to us. We are to be the first to open our doors and welcome people in. Throwing open our hearts and our homes to people. Not flash dinner parties as such, but just having people over. Just enjoying their company. And you can think about how does that apply here on Sunday mornings. Well, you could ask yourself, am I the first to try and make someone who's new welcome? Or do I spend all my time just speaking to the people that I speak to all the time? Do I make an effort to go outside of the people that I normally chat with? Do I go across and speak to someone who I haven't spoken to before? Do I go and speak to someone who's not in my growth group but in another one? We are to be xenophilic people, lovers of strangers, lovers of newcomers, welcoming people. We need to have a relationship where we are growing our love and showing our love to those that are different to us or not here. So those in our community, we need to be people who are out there showing that we love those people out there, that this is not a little clique. This is not a place where we keep people out. This is a place where we welcome people in and draw people in. We need to be self-controlled. We need to be faithful in our families. We need to be having loving relationships with others. And fourthly, we need to have a decent reputation with our community. Look at this in verse 6. He must not be a recent convert. He may become conceited and fall away. In verse 7, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders. We need to have a good rep with the people in our community. We need to think about how do we deal with people in our community. Do we bring pain? Do we cause hassles? Do shop assistants dive behind the covers when you walk in because they don't want to talk to you because you're going to stir them or annoy them or cause problems with them? Do you frustrate people because you're slack with your work ethic? Are we people of our word? Do we complete what we promise to complete? Do we operate our businesses in honesty, in trustworthy way, in a reliable way? Do we have a good reputation in our community? And having a good rep in our community 
is a key to being a leader of God's family. And so finally we have the last one, the fifth thing that I think brings it together is our faith, what we believe in. Leaders need to be people who hold to the truth of the Bible. They need to be able to teach, it says. Uh, They need to be ones uh, down in verse 11 and 12 down there too. I've actually lost my place there where that is. But if you look down for the deacons as well, they need to hold on to the truth as well. In verse 9, they must keep hold of the deep truth of the faith with a clear conscience. We need to be able to hold on to the truth. We need to be able to teach the truth well. That doesn't mean that everyone needs to be who's a leader needs to be up the front giving the sermon. But they need to be able to teach at home, individually, one-on-one, in growth groups, with their children. And for deacons, which is the same for the elders, the overseers, we need to be like bulldogs with the truth. We're able to hold on to it, to the deep truth of the faith. Now, I've never seen this, but they tell me that pit bull terriers, one of the reasons why they are so dangerous if they go off the, tra- off the rails, is they've got a locked jaw. So that when they lock onto something, there's, there's almost impossible for you to get them to remove their mouths, to open them up. We're to be pit bull terriers with the truth of the gospel. We're to lock onto it and not let it go. Because that's been the problem here in 1 Timothy. Paul's been writing to the church in Ephesus and they've let go of the truth. People have come in and tried to take them off in all sorts of directions. And Paul says a leader, an overseer, deacons need to hold on to the truth and not let it go. Never let it go. They need to hold on to the truth of the gospel because ultimately all leadership in the church is derived leadership. They're not leaders apart from the fact that they sit under the one leader, Jesus. All leadership in the church is servant leadership because it all comes underneath Jesus who was a servant to all. So even when we talk about these characters, you'll notice that they are character traits that enables your leaders to serve you, encourages us to serve you. And the only authority that leaders have in a congregation is is the authority under Jesus. When they teach the word and bring the word to you, that is the only authority that they really have. So they need to be servant leaders underneath the truth of God's word. That's the only authority that they have. So that's what a Christian leader is meant to look like. Self-controlled, faithful to their families, good relationships with others, respected by the community and hold to and teach well the truth of Jesus. And I want to say to you this morning that actually that's not that much, is it, really? I mean, some people say that's just too hard. But I've got to ask you, can any Christian be aiming for anything less than that? Now, it's not saying we're perfect at it. It's not saying that we don't fall from it. But that's what we've got to be aiming at, don't we? You see, if we don't have high standards for our leaders, then everything else is going to drop underneath it. If we don't hold them to that point, then we're going to drop all our standards. It just flows through. 
You see, the people that we want to follow are the people that are living the example that Jesus set. We need to raise the bar, don't we? I want to encourage everyone here to be saying that this is what we expect from our leaders. Because that's what we're all aiming at. We're all aiming for the same thing. And we want to encourage our leaders to be doing that well. You see, this isn't a question of whose turn it is to run the flower show. Christian leadership is far more important than that. It's the call to look after and lead God's family, which he is passionate about. He wants our leaders to help you to become to your full-blown God-given potential in him. It's his and he desires us to lead that world because he can see it when it doesn't go well, when rotten fruit sets in, it destroys churches, especially in the Presbyterian church. If our leaders aren't holding to the truths of scripture, aren't living the character that is set out here for us, then you see it crumble. Eldership in the Prezi church is vital. And you have a look at any Presbyterian church where it is crumbling, it's because their elders aren't like this. So if you're a person, if you're one of our elders, guys, it's a challenge for you, isn't it? If you're a deacon, one of the people leading and serving in our ministry teams, then it's a challenge, isn't it? If you're someone that wants to grow and wants to become one of those, then it's a challenge to get serious about it, isn't it? And if you're a person that's sitting under one of these leaders, then this is a challenge for you to become more like that. Because it's a great thing, it's a noble thing, says Paul here, to become and desire to be a leader. But we've got to get our lives right before that happens. And the world needs churches that are led well. Because the truth we carry is the truth that this world needs to hear. The truth that Jesus is the Saviour. The truth that Jesus brings us into a relationship with God for eternity. The truth that Jesus saves us from eternity without God. And we need leaders that are doing that in an honourable way. So let's set the bar high, guys. Let's not just settle and say, well, that's just too hard. Well, yes, it's pretty hard to keep it all the time. But let's aim for that. Let's say, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it all the time. We've got to aim at having our high character, guys. We need to aim at having characters like Jesus. We need to aim to be living like him. We need to be aiming to be self-controlled. We need to be aiming to be faithful in our families. We need to be aiming to have good relationships with people around us. We need to be aiming to have a good reputation in the community. We need to be aiming to hold on to the faith, the truth of Jesus Christ like pit bull terriers. And we want to teach that well. Because character counts, doesn't it? Character counts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I stand here out the front teaching your word, 
as I've thought through this during the week, uh, these words hit home hard. Lord, you love your family desperately. You love each one of us here passionately. You desire us to grow, to become mature in you, to live lives that reflect on Jesus well, to live lives that are characterised by the character of Jesus. That's a huge challenge, Lord. We need you. We need you to give us the strength to do that. We need you, by your spirit, to work in us, Lord, to change those parts of us that just don't match, to change those parts that don't reach the bar, to work a miracle in our lives, Lord, so that we do become more like Jesus. Lord, each one of us here this morning lays our lives before you and we ask, Lord, that by your mighty power, that you'll do a mighty work within us and that we will become the people who you desire us to be, that we will become your family here in Evanshead, your family in this community and in this area that reflects well on you, Lord. Help us, Lord. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.